You're doing fine. And Jeff Schwartz in the house. Let's push the button, Mrs. Great. Wright. Excited today. Wow is right. The name is nice. The date is nice. Four four. What's happening, Mrs. Ryan? I've had a busy, emotional morning. What? That's in a good way. Emotions Let's can be good. It. I'm gonna get to it. Oh, okay. It's just I feel like immensely better. Okay. But like wonky as hell. But whatever. All right. So there. That's today. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry you're wonky as hell. You don't seem it. You're walking around very excited, very happy. I'm we are very excited and happy. Let's talk about this. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Today is Thursday, April 4th, 2019, and our guest today is Mr. Jeff Swart. And four, Mrs. Four. Ryan and I are very excited about that. No surprise. Um, I don't want to waste too much time talking about it because I'd rather talk to him if that's okay with you. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do have a bunch of things to go through. Actually, only a couple things to go through, but they're, okay. they're both videos to watch. Um, let's see. I should give you, I'm going to give you the option. Would you like to check in with, uh, the backstage pass first or our TBT video? Because it is TBT. Uh, backstage pass, please. Oh, backstage pass first. I like the way you're doing it. Let's reorganize here. All right. Beautiful. Let us check in now with Ray Schaefer and a special guest. Hi, Ray. Mm Mm-hmm. I know. It's a good one, too. Let's see. Ray Schaefer, special guest, backstage pass. Here we go. Roll it out. Good evening, Jay and Nicole from the Heritage Gallery here at the Porsche Experience Center Atlanta. We've got a very special guest stopping by to see me on his way through town. So I wanted to say hello to you. So let's uh, go upstairs and see who it is. Jay and Nicole, uh, we're coming to you from the Heritage Center here at the Porsche Experience Center Atlanta. As I said earlier, we have a special guest and he wanted to say a few words to you, so here we are. What do you think of the exhibit? It's absolutely amazing. You know, every time Ray has a new display that comes into the Heritage Gallery, I make it a note to pick up an Atlanta trip so I can kind of um, check out what's new, what's going on, not have to sit in a hotel room, still get paid to do cool stuff. So I came today to check out the Brumos uh, exhibit and it's completely just blown me away. And it's not even just Brumos cars. He's got an RSK behind me. He's got the Ingram collection, America Roadster back there. It's just, it's Disneyland for car guys, I always say, but it, it never ceases to amaze me. The amazing cars you can put together, my hat's off to you. 
it's, it's our wonderful course. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that's very kind of you. It's exciting to share with people who appreciate it. Like I, and I definitely do. And like you guys at, at home, I guess we should say, right? Yeah. Yeah, so thank you for that opportunity. And thank you for our friends in the community so that we can share this with the rest of the community. It takes collectors, because I, I should point out that all these cars are privately owned. And uh, it's those wonderful collectors in the community, like the Brumos Collection, Sprecher Collection, and among others, that have shared their cars with us. So yeah, hats off to them. Thanks so much. That's really cool that they're not just locked away in a warehouse collecting dust somewhere. Totally. These are cars that you can come, you can go eat at the restaurant or do some sim time, and then you're guaranteed access into the gallery to check out the the cars that are here on display yeah, and it's, yeah. it's just priceless stuff you're not going to see anywhere else so so here we are at the end of march it's not quite may yet are we going to see you out on the west coast for loop six yes i will be there i'm even wearing my loop shirt i'm ready i can't wait now we just need a venue right <laughs> we do, we, at this as this is being taped we still do not know where it's going to happen so we're just excited to find out as you are all as well can't so, wait. I'll be yeah. there. All I'll right. see you guys there. We'll see you see you guys there right soon. So till then, have a great show, Jay and Nicole. See you soon. It'll be fun to see those guys soon. All I know is someone is improving their uh, filmmaking skills there. Yeah. <laughs> you see all those I cuts agree. and B-roll, and they did a little interview. How cool was that? So cool. All right, so we should talk about the guy on the right, the guy on screen right, was uh, Tori Alonzo. He's a producer on this show. He books talent on this show, and uh, he's a huge, huge contributor in the community. V-Dubber for life. If you don't know him, give him a follow. And then also, the guy on the left, everybody knows, Ray, Ray Schaefer. Uh, here's the follow copy for Ray Schaefer. If not already, please consider following Ray Schaefer for your backstage pass to Porsche Classic, Brand Heritage, and Travel-Related Material. That's Ray dot Schaefer. S-H-A. Forgive the M code again. That's awesome. So good. All right, Mrs. Ryan, TBT. Yeah. TBT. Looks well, kind of cool. I can't wait till they're out here for Lufka Cole. I'm, I like, know. Every time it's if someone May, talks about right? it and, you know, our guest today and a whole bit, having meetings about it, it's pretty exciting. Uh, all right, TBT. Oh, you know what? Before we go to TBT, I just have uh, one. Th- back to the studio. Back to the studio. Uh, one thing over here. I want to very quickly check in behind the orange curtain. Yes. Just to say, Happy Happy birthday. birthday. Four four. It's Paul Kennel. It's officially Paul Kennel Day, according to that. That's the hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday to Paul Kennel from the Auto Kramers down there in Orange County, behind the Orange Curtain. Happy birthday. and the Ed. Hello to the Ed. Hi to everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday. I didn't know. I saw it on Facebook yesterday. Someone was like, "And tomorrow's your birthday," and I was like, "Ah, oh, love." I know. We were texting this morning. He's the best. He gave me a question for Zwart. All right, now let's check in. TBT. Yeah. I don't remember when this is, but I'm sure the video will tell you. I think it's a breakfast club, and it's uh, going to happen right now. Roll it out. Tortuga. 
going to take this for a drive in a couple minutes. Fun. Hi, Bob. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex's husband. Thanks for loaning us the photographer. Yeah, thanks for breaking her down and talking her into all this. You just can't stop today, can you? What? Breaking her down and stuff. Stop well, that. Everybody touch the baby. I love the baby. I know you weren't there in that one. I chose yes. it for two reasons. It was uh, because it was Otto Kennel's birthday mm -hmm. and also because of the 111, obviously there. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> between the two, it just seemed like it made sense. Uh, I do want to mention also, though, that the road closed there. The road wasn't closed until we closed it. That was Ilko's idea. <laughs> the signs were there. <laughs> I thought that was weird. So it was one of those, yeah, we pulled the cars right in the middle of the road and everything. It was great, though. Great photos from that day. Great video. Yeah, the one of all the cars going by is pretty cool. Oh, you're awesome. Thanks, Mrs. Ryan. So that was fun. Trip down memory lane. Now I'd like to check in and see what's happening today and ask the question that's on everyone's mind. Da-dun, da-dun, da-dun. Da-dun, da-dun.
What's going on, Mrs. Ryan? I was going through a bunch of stuff today, like I do. And on Facebook, one of my friends, Daniel Kellison, shared a video from... Uh, he's a producer, right? You used to work he, with him. He produced this. He produced this show yeah. when this stuff was uh, occurring. But I also worked with him on Ellen. Uh, not Ellen. Uh, oh, that's not true. Uh, somebody else. Rosie. Uh, 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 Rosie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he shared a video that was, I think, from last month of like 1995, and it was this uh, set, and yeah. it was uh, with uh, the guy that flipped over the chair. What's his I name? I was just going to say this, Daniel uh, uh, Chris Farley. Yeah, but I love in the, in that clip he when he does the flipping over he goes Daniel told me to do it. Yeah, and so that and obviously was, we know who that is, and that's what Daniel said in the thing. He's like, this was Chris's thing. He always oh, in every time he was on the show he would always make some kind of shout out. So I'm gonna do my own shout out and let everyone. This is this this is how small worlds are in this okay. late night world specifically. So in that video, I didn't remember all of it. The guy that gets carried out to the the dumpster. Uh, the dumpster mm-hmm. is the husband of a girl I went to college with and worked at a coffee shop with. There's a bit. Oh, gosh, I wish I had that bit loaded. Tell me next time. I'll lo- you know what? Actually, I'll find it and I'll play it. We'll play it right now. Check it out. Okay. Old friend, Chris Farley. How you doing, buddy? Here, let me help you with that. You busted your microphone. Dave, do you ever have shooting pains in your arm and chest? <laughs> yeah, all right. Let me fix you right up, son. Oh, Dave. Oh, yeah. Thank you, sir. Maybe you should cut back on the candy. Yeah. <laughs> the holidays were brutal. That... I've done this show an awful long time. That right there, sir, enjoy this, was the finest entrance a guest has ever made. Congratulations on the uh, the movie. You and uh, David Spade, you got you the number one film in the country last week. It's the big debut week. It was a box office blockbuster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was pretty excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> you you let me know when you're ready to talk. <laughs> I should have done some more stretching back there. Yeah. See what I can do? I, I've been stretching lately, Dave. Yeah, oh, that's... Look at that. Oh, God, for a second... <laughs> You busted, Chris. You busted the set. Look I'm at this. Sorry, Look sorry. at this. He actually <laughs> moves the thing. 
And we're back. <laughs> it's the only editing we'll ever have to do. Okay. There you go. Well, anyway, uh, this is how my life works. I have so many roundabout connections to this set and late night. This is my love letter. The guy at the beginning of that video is the husband of a friend of mine from college, but also... The guy the, who just went in the dumpster a second ago. Yes, but he's also the executive producer of Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And he's Get the guy that town. I was in Hawaii with the first time I ever went. And he was like a safe space in a crazy There's time. A picture right behind you in that shot of Sarah Marshall right there. Yeah. And he was on one of the EPs. And he won an Oscar for the recent Spider-Man U-verse, whatever, whatever. What a crazy with world. With two guys. The One of the guys is the guy that played Hangman to get my phone number in 1998. Hangman? Uh, yeah, it was all Miller wrong, Hunt. but like yep. this is flirting in the eighties with sure. nerds or nineties, and like so it all comes back to like he knows that guy that I met, I met at a comedy club, and I was out with at one of their houses one night. I think we were all there together when the guy we were one of the guys we were with got the call that he was on SNL. Oh wow! And then so now like as a cast member, yeah. Anybody uh, we know, Will Forte. You're kidding. No, How that's cool. what I, I, my, I remember when he got the show. I mean, I remember when he you know, showed up on the show. That's yeah. so cool. We were at dinner together in Santa Monica at their house. They all lived together. So, like, my history is not as specific as yours, but it's roundabout, and it's just how my life is. So I wanted to shout out well, to Kellison and keep the tradition going because well, we Kel- have the set. And we're trying to uh, – you're working to get Kellison here as a guest as well, right? Yeah, I'm going to send this link to his assistant who I've been dealing with. And, oh, cool. Very yeah, cool. so hi to everybody, and I go way back with everybody. I don't know if he'll ever do it. I don't expect him to because he's not really the in front of the camera guy. He's the genius behind this yeah. anything professional like this that you see. Um, but I'll tell you what, if he does come, I'm going to really enjoy that conversation. Yeah, it'll be so I mean, good I to see I just want to pick his brain about all the stuff, and it's not the stuff that anybody else cares about. <laughs> I know. I, yeah, totally. And I shouldn't As know him, but wife. I know his wife who works at Kimmel. Like, I, my history goes so His wife certain. works at Kimmel? Yes. Oh, so, so they're I all am. still... Yeah, so they're all, it's all, yeah. It's well, all what's there. he working on now? He did the Norm He's show, Josh, he? and they're and Josh. producing a show, I think, with Sarah Silverman. Oh, wow, that's right. They're in pre-pro right now. That's why it's I know been so hard to get him on the show. He still works on Kimmel, too, though, in some way. I think. Anyway, whatever. That's very cool. Whatever. So my roundabout history, that was that. So shout I'll out take it. Good to job. Daniel and Rodney. Um, sh- okay, there's not much of a story to this, but my love for Elon Musk continues. Oh, boy. Cheryl Crow went on Twitter because her Tesla, the screen went black, and she was like, uh-oh, what do I do? So she went on Twitter. and Did everyone say have fun until the sun comes up? No. Probably. I didn't look. I just read this article because Elon responded and was like, here's what you do. Sorry for the inconvenience. We're going to change this, the software. Like, you're, no it's a problem. I'm assuming this is a reboot type thing. It was probably a simple solve. No, it was like settings. It was a setting issue oh, wow. that he was on auto that like is an automatic setting in the thing. Anyway, he took responsibility. He was like, I'm going to change the software. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. crazy. So love to everyone there. Yeah. Um. Okay. Um, Cheryl Crow. I mean, this is how you get things done these days. Apparently, you put things on blast on social media, and then change happens. It's wild. It's kind of wild. I yeah, I love it. I, it's super <laughs> super cool. Um, okay, I'll do a virus thing another day because it's interesting. But eh. um, <laughs> okay, and then okay, there's positive. As we go, 
Here we go. Yeah, I'm learning. My brain's growing back. That's what this. I know the that. First I know story, that to be true. I tell everybody that. I didn't remember all the pieces to that first like tie around until like I saw Daniel's video this morning. I was like, oh, our set. Oh, uh. anyway, that's how the it synapses works. are firing with Mrs. Ryan. Getting back together. Um. Anyway, sugar, there's synapses, positives synapses. to sugar. They're finding out positives. Yeah. Okay. It helps your lung respiratory system. Now, I... It's a stimulant, right? So that makes sense? Like yes coffee and, would? Yes and no, because it also creates allergens and inflammation in some cases. So you have to be really cautious. That's my point. I wouldn't do it. I'd go for the whatever the other thing. Okay. Sorry, yeah. sorry. You, you go ahead. You're jumping on all of You're my totally, stuff. I'm but, sorry. Um, <laughs> You're exactly right. The, the negatives of sugar is that it causes inflammation. There's a reason inflammation cause, it, it creates, though, in your body, and it's usually to, like, get infections away. So the studies were, like, inhaling sugar to, like, block receptors and, like, do stuff. Inhaling sugar? Like, uh, like powdered sugar, like cocaine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a reference to sugar? snorting it. That, well, that's it, what I'm saying. It sounded like cor- cocaine. Oh, my God. They're playing this with different ways because they're finding that it. there are positives to things that were seen only as negative. So okay. it's like I that's, found this out. Everything is everything. There's nothing in this world that's black and white. Everything's everything. But like I got crazy looks when I was like, I just want to sit and eat Nutella with a spoon. I it, it it I dealt with it differently. I didn't inhale the sugar, but I ate it. And then... I believe your body... That used to be um, used to. Uh, I don't know how to say any of this politely. You, you, <laughs> you used to be bigger. Your body was used to it. Um, now you're not. And I think sometimes your body just needs calories. So if that's a jar of Nutella one night, I don't think it's going to kill you. Totally. But sometimes, like my, I've noticed when my body craves certain things, mm-hmm. and it's typically I think when you should I'm... listen to that, and that's what you do, and you don't judge yourself. And I feel like that's where the key is. Totally. But I like understanding it, too, because I get <laughs> bored as hell sometimes when I'm medicating constantly, and yeah. I just have to sit there. So my mind wanders and I thinking. think about stuff because yeah. I'm not dumb. So anyway, the Nutella that I eat gets into my system and, like, wards off things a different way. It works differently than if I were to snort it, but I like it. Okay. I had a different – I was going somewhere else, but I forget. I'm sorry. Did I did – I Yeah. No. Um, anyway, that guy that you worked with, that Stephen Curry guy – Steph Curry, Steph, the, the basketball Curry. player. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he's partnering with ABC. His motto for his company started a couple of years ago. I, I just oh, it is Stephen Curry. You're right. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Faith, family, and sports. So yeah. his partner, which I think is a super rad motto to have in this business. I, I not only worked with him, I worked with his brother um, a couple oh, of days yeah. apart. And we did a commercial with uh, both of the brothers, and they were in different cities, and we had to put them in the same room. It was a whole really complicated thing. But uh, the point for this is that both brothers were incredibly similar. Now, one they're both professional NBA players, but one is like a superstar, and one's just like famous. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know sports, so forgive me if I'm saying the wrong things. But uh, here's two guys. One was like wicked, crazy famous, and one's just pretty famous. And th- all I'm pointing, my point is, they were the same. Their upbringing was the same. They both were just down to earth young men who did their work and were incredibly grateful to be successful. Um, to me, that is the upbringing and everything else. I think the guys are really good. Like, you know what I mean? I think they come from a good place, good family, good upbringing. Um, if they're, if this is the the future for them. I feel like everything is a, a, a match, like a perfect match. 
That motto? Yeah, yeah. If this is the name, what? Yeah, you said it's the name of the. What's the? It's the motto of his production company, which is something. Oh, that it's not the, the name. The motto, it's not the I name. See. It's the motto of it's his. It, his. But again, that's coming line. from him. Yeah. Yeah. So, but their partnering, the company is partnering with ABC to make a mini golf challenge. <laughs> oh, for a show? Yeah. Because that's cool. his thing is like Wait, against everyone, him. Or just it's it. a competition, Joe. Okay. I don't okay. know. I don't know. I, He's producing but, it like LeBron, probably. Yeah. Okay. So, but Rob Riggle's commentating it. I'm like, oh, love Rob Riggle. Funny, yeah. He's hilarious. But the whole, the thing that I read was really cool. Like his reason for creating was like, let's get back to basics. Like everyone has a mini golf story from when you're a kid. Yeah. And mine that I remember all the time that I'm just gonna kick the ball rolling and say I cheated on the scoring on a date. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> of course I did. I was like that early. It was all about winning. It was all about being attractive, which at the time involved winning, but I wasn't attractive by cheating and I got called out. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> so whatever. But I'm owning it. All right, Mrs. That's Ryan. what's going on. That's been <laughs> what's going on. That's so awesome. You're the best. I, I love that you – right, here's the backstory. We have to get to in here. But the, the backstory in that was she had her whole card out, and it looked like the card used to be, which was there was barely any light blue left because it was all pen. And I was like, so you went back to writing everything, huh? And she's like, yeah, I went back to it. I was like, so after the compliments and you feeling good yesterday, <laughs> you decided to go back to what wasn't, what wasn't working as well? She goes, I'll redo it. <laughs> I think you did great. And I'm so proud of you across the board. I, I, I hope you know that I'm not saying this for TV. I mean it in every way. Yeah, I know. Okay, good. Uh, I love you so much, Mrs. Ryan. Let us take a quick break. We're going to get Jeff Swarden here to talk about all of the things, all of the things, everything on my card. We've got some questions from you at home. And plus, it's Jeff Swart, so we're just going to talk about it. Uh, he's going to be sitting in that chair right there. When we come back, more to come right Yay. after this.
Welcome back. Welcome back. We are back. Hello, Mrs. Ryan. Hello, Hello. Jeff Zwart. Thank How the you. heck are you? Very good. Good to be here, finally. <laughs> we're very excited to have you, you here. Now yeah. You made it. Now you'll see <laughs> oh. what you were talking about. Okay. <laughs> we're going to switch the, the hand. <laughs> That's it. That's the culprit up there. Exactly. We need a bigger space. <laughs> <laughs> a bigger space will be. Oh, that oh, that's good. Was so <laughs> funny. What's that shot with your hand in it? <laughs> so great. So Oh, great. you know, all I do is look at film going, you know, what do I It's usually my own critiquing it so it's good <laughs> well it's you good. uh said that you came and did the show because the set caught your attention yeah yeah <laughs> and i think the first one the first one i watched was the uh one about the whole microphone thing so you do know yeah. the story yeah so you i was curious we about of that fessing up you know kind of you know what all <laughs> sleight of hand kind of thing it's our deal and i was thinking whether the <laughs> statue of limitations was up or you know kind of that sort of thing and i thought you know he's bold he's bold it was, you know, it was one of those um, just had a skeleton in the closet all those years yeah. that even I had forgotten about. You, you know what I mean? And it was a big one. Done it. Huge. I feel complete in the weirdest way. Are you kidding? I finally told my parents what I did. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. Um, well, thank you very much for being here. It means a lot to us. Oh, well, uh, thanks to you guys, so for sure. I've been looking thank forward you. to the conversation simply because I salute your brain so much oh, and your geez. eye and your um, your demeanor in general. Oh, thank you. After Thanks. spending a couple hours with you at your um, place the other day, mm-hmm. Mrs. Ryan came back on the show and said, well, I hope you're not offended, but I have a new man crush on you. <laughs> <laughs> I will take it from wherever it comes from. It's all good. <laughs> um, there's tons oh, of stuff here. I don't even know where to start. Um, I don't want to do the whole... You've seen our show, so it's not an interview thing, and I don't want to do the whole, like, let's start off when you were a kid and the whole bit. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be too long. There's so much stuff. But I do want to know what kind of kid you were when you were palling around with our Tuesday guest, Freeman (laughs) Freeman Thomas, Thomas. (laughs) when you guys were children growing up in the same neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, that was a total surprise to me the other day. Yeah, I think, you know, it was... uh I lived in a lot of different places growing up, and that was probably the the house that I lived the longest in. So it was kind of the first time I could really call something home, because we lived. I think I lived in nine houses. Oh, wow. I went to a different wow. school every year till uh, junior and high school, I think, because it was just it wasn't always moving. But you know, you were in a area that was growing, so there'd be an open up a new school closer to you and you'd be mm-hmm. there and that kind of thing. And I just, I traveled uh, around, obviously, with my parents and we finally settled into that Orange County side of things. And, and I was an only child. And oh. so I kind of, you were obviously really close to your parents and you generally found one friend you were close to, yeah. you know, in each place because you knew that, right. you, you know, it was kind of, you're going to move on and you're always kind of a little I bit of... Time. A little bit of the, a little bit of the outsider too, you know. You get right. into the schools and they already have their click and their everything yeah. going on. So, uh, but you know, in the time of Freeman, it was it was kind of funny because you know it's a, it was first time in your life where you kind of got a lot of mobility yourself, which was a bicycle. Sure. And uh, the first that, taste of freedom. Yeah, yeah. And, and I had a paper route, so there was a routine to that. You know, every afternoon, folding the papers and putting them in the bags on your bike and. You know, riding around the neighborhood, throwing papers and stuff. Yeah, (laughs) and then uh, we lived in a condominium um, compound or you know condominium area, and so everything was really close together. And Mm -hmm. I think even Freeman mentioned it. All the condominiums were linked by alleys, 
and on the alleys were all the garages. So, you know, the good stuff was all on the alley. <laughs> so, you know, you just ride up and down the alleys and whose door was open and what was parked in there. So you, you very quickly identified which neighbors had good stuff. Sure. And, uh, and uh, you know, and, and that good stuff was always a moving target based on what you'd seen in Road and Track magazine or oh, whatever. So, so, so it, it just would constantly change. But, you know, there were those few neighbors that just had some sort of cool car and uh, – and it really, uh, because of the paper route, kind of created a routine where you were delivering at the same time every day. Mm-hmm. You also had this other routine where when people would come home. And so you, it really was, you really were kind of aware, well, you know, this 67 911S yeah. is going to come down over to that alley. And we're going to go, you know, we're going to try to be around just to hear it and <laughs> see it drive by and things like that. So, and Freeman didn't have a paper route, but he kind of followed along and did things. And, you know, when you're, he mentioned he was a little bit younger. So yeah, a year yeah, younger a year at that point's a big younger, deal. Or two years younger. And, he, and, you know, there was a routine of folding papers. There are always the kind of things that you had to do. And then Saturday and Sundays were the morning paper. So you'd get up oh. super early and you'd be delivering papers, you know, before dawn and, and you'd end up at the Winchell's on the corner with all the other paper boys. And it was like a real network. So, but that was, like, you know, that was a life and all good. It was, it was a lot of fun. Which it, Winchell's? It sounds like a community. You finally yeah. found yeah. a community yeah. after it moving was, around all that. That really was true. And it was also just fun because, uh, Freeman was of the same car mindset. And I thought that was kind of interesting when Freeman said the other day, he said, you know, I, just started drawing cars, was always drawing cars. And I think that for both of us, you know, there was that kind of, uh, you know, I was very influenced by Road and Track magazine because that's what my dad had. And then, you know, my parents' uh, first new car and only new Porsche my dad ever bought was a 1964 356C. Hmm. And uh, so we, when we was moved that the in end? That, that was the end, right? That was the end of the 356? Yeah, that yeah, was, okay. the, well, 65 was the last okay. year of it. But, but it was, the C was the end of the models. And uh, and so we arrived in the neighborhood with that car. Hmm. So that was kind of cool having a sports car in the family. And he mentioned <laughs> he had already been living in Europe, so he'd seen yeah, those cars yeah, driving around, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. that's so cool. And, you know, you got to... I I maybe I'm wrong in stating this, but I would say as a mindset, there wasn't that big a difference in the price of cars mm. in that day. So was where, it more what you wanted? Well, yeah. So it was really out of choice, mm. you know, or whatever. You know, I choose to commute in a sports car rather than a you know a station wagon or whatever else. And, so the you know, difference was negligible. Yeah, it wasn't. It okay. wasn't like whoa, look at him rolling okay. in a three fifty six, you know, kind right. of thing. It was, it was more oh, that's kind of choice. that was an odd choice of doing it. And, and I don't really because you know you weren't into the finance part of it right. at the day, but it wasn't a Ferrari, obviously, and, you know. And and so I I just you know remember how that was just part of our that was our family car, you know. And it yeah, wasn't it wasn't something, even flashy. I mean, no, it, no, and it wasn't something you put away and. You drove it only on the weekends. You know, that was that was my parents' everyday car for that with the 356. And then, as Freeman said, you know, along came the 901, built in September of 64, 911 that my dad owned, chassis number 35. So the 35th 911. And, ever. And, it, and ever. Ever produced. Ever produced. And it was just something that um, he bought used. And he didn't buy it because it was a 901. He probably bought it because it's the only thing he could afford. So wow. it was the oldest 911, which was probably only three years old at that point, that you could buy. And so he's found that car, and it was uh, Bali blue, and it was a neat car. And 
and he started driving it, and, and that was our everyday car. So, Can I ask a question there? Because I don't know, but I've always been curious. Did the 901, you know, you know the story of 901 and became the 911? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, okay. Uh, did the 901s actually have badging? Like, is there a 901 badge, or did no, it just say it was, Porsche? It was, there were actually that, I would imagine, no would badging a for a thing. while. And then there was the slanted 911 okay. on there. And um, interestingly enough, my dad, uh, he got backed into at a restaurant one night. I remember it was a really big deal, you know, <laughs> like we'd come out of the car, it's been backed into. And, and uh, so uh, he got backed into, and when they took the front bumper off, the, I remember because I, I, you know, it was kind of those days where you went everywhere with your dad or I with do, your mom. Yeah. You know, you didn't really sit at home, especially being an only child. Mm-hmm. You know, you got enough of that, so you, you know, you, you went with your parents. And I just remember going to the body shop, and the body shop goes, "Oh, look at this, Bob! The front bumper is all filled with lead." You know, and so there were these things that showed from the up factory. from the factory, mm-hmm. and that was to counter the weight of the engine. They added weight to the front bumper. Well, to these were drivable. the kind of things that More were drivable. you just absorbed all this. Random yeah. stuff. Yeah, well, so and and th- those were the kind of hints that this was a really early car because mm. it was literally li- like lead poured in there. So um, my dad just had these kind of things that came up on the car, and then I remember we went to Riverside. Oh, so you didn't? He just it was he just a it was used nine eleven early. Yeah, but he knew really, it was early oh, car, but he smokes. didn't really. I don't think ever equated this is chassis number thirty five. <laughs> and then as time went on, we were at a Porsche owners club thing at uh, Riverside and my dad didn't race his car but we went to like every kind of race thing we could do and so we were at the Porsche Owners Club and I remember my dad's was chassis 35 and I'm pretty sure there was somebody there I'm probably wrong on this but it seems to me it was chassis number 29 and I remember this was the first time in my head I got those numbers down and I remember my dad said, you know, that car is even older than our car kind of thing. Yeah, so, maybe built the yeah, day before, yeah, two yeah, days before. Yeah, so, so uh, I remember kind of having that relative, you know, landscape of Porsches wow. that it was starting to be early. And then, like Freeman said, my dad, I consider my dad, contrary to the numbering system in our group, I consider my dad the first R group member. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> because he literally took his 901 and as you would at those times, it was like, what looks old and dated on it? So, oh, well, we should get alloy wheels, you mm. know, but we got, we didn't get just regular alloy wheels. We were at Vosik Pollock getting the car service and there were four 911R wheels sitting in the corner there as a special, you know, for sale. And my dad bought all four 911R wheels and then, you know, he needed to. The, the he, lightweight. The lightweight. Yeah, lightweight. But they're like, you know, they're probably almost twenty thousand dollars yeah, or something yeah. way way more so and then um and and then you know the when he did get backed into it at the restaurant he said oh i'm gonna put the thick strip on so it looks like a 911 oh, s yep. you know all the deco is looks more like an 911 s and then um oh you know i have a chance to get a, a s kind of upgraded motor i'm gonna do an s so you know all these things all built the but things. it was just kind of like that but with no real regard to jesus this is the holy grail we got to keep it <laughs> stock you know so so anyway that it, it was just i i do consider him the first R member wow so. that's so cool what well, was that all well okay i see because he's basically the influence also yeah. for free minutes yeah it's mean, so yeah. wild <laughs> yeah wow heritage of thinking outside the box yeah i didn't even think we'd get into this today but what i mean 
It's so interesting. It's interesting to me the dichotomy between the uh, um, you know keep it pristine, put it in the yeah, garage, don't yeah. drive it, keep the mileage down to um, more of what we do, which mm-hmm. is drive the piss out of them yeah. because that's how they were you know what yeah. they were built for. Well, I kind of have a feeling, but where do you stand in all of that? Well, it's just you know growing up that way, and I will tell you just real quick another funny story. My probably one of the most upset times I ever saw my dad. We would go at Christmas every year to downtown L.A. to pick up our Christmas tree out of the railroad cars that would come down from Washington and Whoa. Seattle. That's a Washington and Oregon. <laughs> and the, um, the, it was really special because they would put the Christmas trees all in boxcars and then put the snow in around them so you would get these trees arriving in the la with snowballs with snow and everything around them that had come down to be delivered so it was basically a fresh pack right yeah fresh packing the trees so every year that was our tradition to go to the train yard and pick up our christmas tree well we drove the 911 and my dad being a a, um the 901 yeah he drove (laughs) the 901 the 35th 911 belt and uh, so you know no nothing but uh my but so my um my dad working in the uh, aviation business, he was working at McDonnell Douglas, and he okay. was a, a mechanical engineer, but he was specialty was in composites. So, uh-huh. you know, he always had something special in the composite world. So he got these, he had these straps that were literally like nylon straps, but they were like some space age material that he'd gotten as, you know, you could go to the surplus store at, at McDonnell Douglas and get all these kind of exotic materials that they just kind of throw away. So scraps. He had these scra- straps that had come from somewhere, so they were super strong. Well, we're driving home with the Christmas tree on the roof of the 911, and somehow the strap got wrapped around the wheel. Oh, my God. And the, the, or so, got caught on something, and... All of a sudden, we hear this huge noise and just, you know, and that literally the poor 911 had these like rope burns all the way around it from this, from these straps. In the paintwork and and everything. And yeah, it didn't go all the way through the paintwork, but, you know, it was really stressful for me. I remember how bad it was, you know, so much for the Christmas spirit because, you know, it was like, you know, we'd we'd had this great time in the train yard and a perfect tree on the roof. And it tore out the brake lines when this happened. And so I just remember... you know, and this is, I also remember, I'm in the back of the 911, you know. A kid, too. Yeah, yeah, a kid, and I'm in the back, and so, and I just remember I'm driving home as mad as possible with a Christmas tree on the top of the car that he hated at that point, <laughs> and, a, and, and having to use the emergency brake all the way home to stop. I was going to say, and a 901 with no brakes. <laughs> So anyway, the, the Zwart family, the early years. So oh, that's that it. is so great. <laughs> so, so to get back, sorry, get to your originality side of things. I mean, I think it's such an exciting time because, um, you know, suddenly barn finds are really important mm. to us. Um, uh, the quest to go back originally is really a great one, I think, because it it brings you closer to the brand. I mean, when you think of what's the opposite, you're like building something with aftermarket parts and making it faster and mm-hmm. making it less original and all that stuff, or you're really going into what it had in the day. And then, so that brings you close to the brand. It educates you yeah. about where it came from, where these parts were, and it networks you in a way with you know the whole thing. So it's a, so I'm 
I, I love the times we're in because it's going so heavily in both directions. But that's fair. I, I do like it. That's fair. Yeah. It is going in both directions. It seems like uh, well, whatever. It, everything <laughs> you said it all. Uh, I don't want to get too caught up. Um, I want to talk about radical media for a second okay. because you blew sure. my mind the other day with something that's probably very obvious to most people, but it for some reason wasn't to me. Uh, when we were uh, having a conversation mm-hmm. the other day, Radical came up. Uh, no, how, I don't remember how it came up. You had an office in Santa Monica, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You gave me the address. I said, well, wait, isn't that Radical Media? You helped found Radical Media? Uh, or you I were, wouldn't say I helped found Radical Media. but You were uh, there involved from the beginning. From the very beginning. And, you know, the very beginning was kind of an interesting uh, evolution because, um, uh, you know, I was a still photographer shooting heavily national advertising, shot all of BMW's advertising, all of Porsche's advertising, all of Mercedes kind of uh, 190s, kind of the sportier classes of cars. Um, And then um, so heavily in the German side, but really kind of if there was a performance ad, I did a lot of them. So um, and Meaning action if they were shooting action. action. Yeah, okay. action and kind of, you know, the, the turbocharged era of kind of showing those things off. But, Motion but, uh, blur. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, American Photographer did a story on me, and the, uh, the American Photographer was kind of the magazine at the time for photography, and they called me the high-performance photographer. And so they kind of got into how I shot and what I my philosophies were in shooting high-performance things, and certainly – you know, it was my high performance side of things went way beyond cars where I was shooting. I was certified to fly backseat and fighter planes. So I was Martin Baker ejection seat certified. And I had, you know, I spent hours and hours in F-18s and all sorts of modern fighter planes. Photographing you must have some that. constitution. <laughs> and, and, you know, <laughs> and if it was boats and Johnson outboards and then, you know, Budweiser comes along, we're doing Miss Budweiser and all their high performance things. With, well, uh, I remember unli- the jet boats unlimited and hydroplanes yeah. and all that stuff so I shot that and then you know, I days. worked on cigarette oh, yeah. accounts if they were performance even a Marlboro I did all the motorsport things oh, and right, so, of so you know just a lot of that so American Photographer did this story and and I out of that story really nothing happened other than production companies <laughs> uh, reached out to me about me directing and I hadn't really considered it I was like I'm happy being a photographer I love my you know, infrastructure, and I love traveling the world with kind of a bag on your shoulder and a couple assistants, and, you know, why would I need a big, giant film crew to do anything? Did you, you know, feel it was right-sized at the time? Yeah, yeah, everything was everything was good, and when I'd, I'd always be coming into a location that a film crew had just been in, or something was going on, and, you know, like, you'd be in Zion shooting, I was shooting Mercedes uh, brochures in Zion, and, you know, the park rangers go oh you know we're lucky you can shoot here because the last film company came through and just destroyed this place you know you always hear on the heels of stories like that so so i out of that um i got these offers to suddenly direct and i think it was kind of a natural thing for me because i was shooting high performance action in its entirety, you know, if the car still had to drive to me, still had to jump over that jump and land and turn sharply around a corner. I just was only recording 125th of a second. Hmm. So suddenly, you know, for me to go into film and film the whole scene and kind of learn to tell the story of that scene, it was somewhat natural because it was like I was still going through the same process in my head. I was just using a different camera mm. and a much bigger infrastructure, you know. Yeah. So so um, funny enough, I reached out to the only person I really knew in the film business, which had been a producer 
that worked with uh, Amirati and Purist, which was one of my main BMW accounts, was the was the, uh, the advertising firm. agency right. for that. And so I reached out to him. It was, it was uh, Frank Sherma was his name and and is his name. And uh, <laughs> Frank, uh, Frank, I just said, you know, I'm getting these offers to to direct television commercials. And so we first talked about maybe just doing it on our own. Mm, and then I just looked for shop. yeah, I looked for some direction and what should I do? You know, which production company should I really consider? Mm. All that. And then all of a sudden I started hearing that one of the production companies I'd always heard good things about was looking for a information on me and looking to open a West Coast office. And I thought, well, that's kind of would be kind of an interesting thing to be the only director in a new office as opposed to joining a company that was already full of directors. So much more. So I thought, you know, that's certainly for me. I wanted, you know, the attention and everything else to kind of be focused (laughs) on your your career rather than trying to plan the space to figure out what you're going to do in this job. too. Exactly. And so so that um, came along and and I kept hearing about it, but I wasn't contacted directly by them. Then finally, I think I called the called the production company, which was Sandbank and Partners, Henry okay. Sandbank, and I talked to um, the producer there. And as it turns out, he goes, "Well, I've just been trying to figure out who I can put you with as a producer on the West Coast." And small world, he says, "I think I figured it out it's a guy named Frank Sherman." <laughs> And so all of a sudden, everything we've been talking about was just came together and we opened the office in the West Coast here. And then uh, Henry Sandbank moved on. John Kamen was my it um, was really the producer, executive producer that I spoke with. He created his own company that spun off of that. And ultimately, it became Radical Media. So wow. it just was very quick. But I was the original, you know, kind of the original director with it, certainly the longest lasting one at what, this point. What year there. was that when it was first started? 1988. Holy so. smokes. I mean, they're just a powerhouse now, one of the biggest in the business. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's just... With offices all over the world, yeah, right? Yeah, offices all over the world. And just a very uh, forward-thinking production company, you know, has adapted well with the times and, and I think has a great... Uh, uh, diversity and its talent and, mm-hmm. and kind of is in, involved in so many different things and the pro- it's fun. The, cool, so. the coolness, of the, uh, the cool factor of the projects that are worked on is, is, is pretty big over there. Yeah. I think I told you that yeah. the, the, one of the jobs I did was uh, I was a consultant on the Back to the Future stuff uh-huh. they did with the sneaker and the car and the mall. They reshot all the stuff and Frank Marshall directed it yeah. a little bit. Totally fun, but uh, not a small shoot. I mean, this Everything is, these aren't just little tiny commercials. Like big these productions. Are, absolutely. Yeah. It may as well have been an action film. Yeah. You don't do anything that's like, I'm going to take a picture of a bowl of apples. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's, it, it, what's really um, you know nice for me just to kind of go on from there is that the my, um, you know, what I do really kind of feeds you on so many levels mm-hmm. because it's an action position. And and I think that, you know, it's, it's like a great relationship that, the, you know, you always get back more from it than you give to it. And, yeah. and so that kind of situation constantly That's happens attitude, by the way that happens that isn't just li- i mean <laughs> but it, but it's just i think it, you help make that happen but i think and it's also kind of to be in awe of it all the time never take it for granted because yeah. it, it just it's so cool that you know what you get to do and get exposed to and and that has really um kind of pushed my directorial shelf life and then to combine it with racing and you know people kind of ask 
you know, well, are you a racing driver or are you a filmmaker or what? You know, can you make that decision? You, you can't. You know, I mean, can I, you I think, just make that call? I think I can look at the longest lasting, best paying career, <laughs> but we, you can certainly you put can it do down the math on it. But what about you? Yeah, for me, it's racing was always that kind of untangible goal, but really? the mentality of it was where I was as. It, from a kid, you know, and, and you I think carried being, that through everything. Yeah, and being very, I think that by moving to different schools and different things and kind of always having change, it forced you to be a little more competitive, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of establish yourself immediately. And I mean, racing, it's competitive and establish yourself out front, you know. Right, you have to do one thing <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, everyone knows you. Yeah, you have to really you do don't it. You get and, to know everyone for the first two laps and then. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so, so I think that racing mentality was always there. And then as I got to be involved with it, and I think that what's really cool is is that from my filmmaking side of things is that it's, the, it's part of my story. And when you go in to do a project, because still most everything I do is high action, you go in and do a project and you go, well, I have come from really living it. Hmm. You know, there's few things I haven't done in a car racing, you know, of pushing right. cars through Baja 1000 to driving through Siberia, racing through Siberia to Mongolia to to, to road stopping racing, a few abruptly. Road racing, yeah, to, to <laughs> climbing up Pikes Peak or whatever. You have but, a unique skill set. <laughs> well, but, but what it does is it influences me visually. Because when I go I, look at a, you know, we're going oh, out location scouting. Oh, yeah. No. And I go out location scouting and I, okay. I, look, at, I look at a road. <laughs> That's and multitasking, I, mister. You know, <laughs> yeah, but you're, lo- but you're location scouting and I look at a road and I don't just look at what it looked like through the camera. I think about what How it feel, feel like to drive. Yeah. And then I also think about what the dynamic of the car will be at the same time so you can kind of say well no that car would look awkward doing that or it would look very settled and powerful to be in that position so it kind of they really feed each other and i would say that the racing philosophy of just the way you approach things and and take your eyes wide open all the way through till comes race time or shoot day and focus Focus. it in so so you have the ability to focus. You've always yeah. had that. I'm guessing the only child spending time alone, yeah. doing all your projects. Yeah, I think, and and it's, you know, it's really funny because the the similarities when you break it down to racing at Pikes Peak, mm-hmm. for instance, to a shoot day, are crazy. How <laughs> the parallels? It, yeah, the parallels to it, and how I approach it, and like I said, you know you are gathering as much information as possible and throughout the day and you're trying things and doing all this. Yeah. But Pike's Peak is definitive. It's one run. You've got to get to the summit. The summit's fourteen thousand one hundred and fifteen feet. You can hit rain, snow, hail, whatever, racing up it. And it's you definitive. can hit asthma. Definitive. You've <laughs> There's got no air up there. <laughs> but you've got to get there, and you've got to go against the elements. And if you aren't focused enough, you're not going to get there. And in the same way, the definitive de- thing in a shoot day, the sun goes down. Mm-hmm. You can't bring it back up. <laughs> you can't. You can't. You have a certain amount of time. Yeah, That's and you know, at the size of productions I work on. You don't come back tomorrow. Right. You know, you don't say, oops, I missed that. I got to come back tomorrow. No, it does not happen. So it's such a definitive there. And it's like what you train for, but the focus and, and, you know, distractions. You can't 
chase things when it comes race day. You have to really be on your mark and, and focus that. And that's where kind of like uh, during a shoot day, you're constantly thinking about how many shots I have left to do, what's the best light for that, how do you, you build into that, the whole and thing. you just build in it, and you, you're there at the best light at the end, but you better be done. So. <laughs> Man, gosh. I think of the uh, we just watched the uh, the Pikes Peak climb, uh, the uh, 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 the Hoonigan one uh, uh-huh. with, uh, Ken, with Block. Ken Block, yeah. and it was the show specifically yeah. the uh, the Jim Conn of Files because mm-hmm. I think I told you yes. I was actually up to produce that. Um, the the first episode of that, yeah, drama. Um, um, <laughs> the visuals are absolutely stunning, and then we get to see your smiling face. Right back. <laughs> yeah, I think we got it. You know? <laughs> I wouldn't ask you to do it again. Yeah, you kept pointing out like right over the your tires were so like they're yeah. on the line right totally you're great but like that there's it's so tall and there's mountains oh yeah holy well, cow i say that if you make a mistake at pike's peak you have time to think about what you did wrong before you hit it oh my god <laughs> so. oh my god it can be seconds i would imagine yeah, oh, yeah. So. Uh, have you ever had an I don't even want to talk about it. Never mind. I'm sure. I can, yes, I have. I can tell where you're going. At Pikes Peak? No. Well, interestingly, the first year I went, and this is something that, um, you know, I've raced there 16 years. Um, and the very, I, and I shouldn't say the first year, but the first year I raced with Porsche there. Okay. I'd raced there once before. And then my Porsche program came along in 1994. And uh, I went there thinking I knew where I was when the very first day of practice and I that taught me something that to 16 years later I still come to that corner and think about that day <laughs> you Mr. know Humility, when huh? I thought I knew where I was and that's a one of the things because I actually you know kind of coach in the rookies meetings and I help help new competitors and everything and I I say single-handedly don't ever think you know where you are you know, Having because never, that'll oh, bite sorry. you. But that, it'll bite you. And I think, and I've never flown off the road as fast as I did that day because mm-hmm. I was drop fully into fifth gear, foot down on boost, 550 horsepower. And I thought the road opened up to go dead straight. And instead it went 90 degrees left and I flew off the road. And fortunately I was in the lower section, but I went off in the trees and everything was okay. And I, you know, it, it was you're still here today. Still here today, and yeah. we got the car back together and won open class that year. But still, Good grief. it was. But it's just one of those things that it you need that check. And fortunately, I was able to come back from that check. They say one of the things I learned from that show as well. But uh, there's so many corners, and there's so the topography is uh, um, so radical that there's a lot of corners that look the same. Exactly. So you you tend to oh I, I'm I know where I am here, and then you you just. If you're not present for even a second, and that's yeah. the focus, I guess you're talking about. And especially about. in the dirt days, there were no guardrails. There was nothing there. And when you get above tree line, tree line happens around 12,000 feet. When you get above tree line, you're literally driving against the sky. So your traditional markers Go or on. anything are not there. So. Well, even in the in the show, you yeah. it's a yeah, little yeah, block of rocks. rocks. Yeah, yeah. Rocks Something. Yeah, totally. So, And I got to say, since you brought up too, is that Ken Block, is a real talent. Yeah. <laughs> he really is. Impressive. Yeah, and I, I just, you know, he was on my <laughs> mountain, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, that's and true. And I was directing him in Climcana, and it was just, you know, he needs no warm-up. He'll literally be rally-crossing some small, compact, 
high horsepower rally car, and then we get them in a fourteen hundred horsepower all wheel drive Mustang with you know that, flames coming out yeah. of the, <laughs> the front end. You know, it just the whole thing. It couldn't have been more contrasts of things he drives, but yet he just goes boom on the limit, goes and drives it to the edge, and you know, for me, okay, we got it. We're walking away. You know, it's it was just a really great dynamic, and I just you know to observe him and to watch his videos and everything but then to be standing there and asking him to do what i asked him to do in a car and him just take it right to the mark that's impressive as a director i have to assume you were happy with the piece (laughs) yeah i was very very happy i was just (laughs) certainly that shot my god yes yes uh, just uh, just all around i think you know at this point you know you love to just you want to do good work, but you love when you just have a great dynamic of working with the entire crew and your your star is really a star and these yeah. kind of things. And, and Ken was really awesome. And 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 the whole crew was. You know, it was one of the unusual times where I didn't have my typical radical crew. I had the Hoonigan crew, and, and they really have a great group of shooters. And awesome. Enjoyed it, yeah. They know so what cool. they're doing, too. Yeah. They're good yeah, drivers. They really like, they're always, yeah. like doing really neat stuff that I know takes so much more understanding than it looks like. So and it reminds me of you. But they have fun too. Yeah. You know, I really do like that too. It's a really, they don't strike me as taking anything too seriously. They, you know what? From Ken to Scotto to everybody right on down the line. But they're, but yet they have to deliver. Oh yeah. You know, and, and, and you can never discount the fact that what they're doing is not risky. You know, yeah. and so even doing donuts in the yeah, parking oh, lot. Yeah, well, you, yeah. you went over there. That's the right. Lot. I had to defend the honor of 914 owners around the world. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's smoked right. my tires a little bit. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> gosh, I forgot about that. Do that you, was actually a very. I was. I was very happy with that moment. <laughs> well, you know, people watch the videos, and unless you're actually there, the space is not large. Oh, it's large. really that, small. It's kind of like this studio. I mean, that little parking lot is tiny, and it's half containers, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I genuinely think, I've never asked, but I genuinely think that Scotto didn't think I would really do not just a burnout maybe but not do donuts <laughs> and so i was you know i was pretty it was the like, yellow as car as you my, saw the little yellow my, 914 my, my driving career that was one of my high moments yeah. <laughs> really you well, lit it up well, look at up. the audience look at the audience but did you I mean, see them yeah, 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 yeah it was all it was all fun it, 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 you know anytime you can wow 20 something kids it's good <laughs> oh my gosh that's so great um, oh my god we have another mutual friend in the birthday boy uh mr paul kennel Yes. Paul Kramer. Uh, he wanted to know if you would be interested in telling your Citroen story. Now, oh. I don't know it. I don't know the story, but he, we just did a video with him and a Citroen yesterday, yeah, so yeah. it came up. Oh, that's funny. I just saw Paul yesterday myself. So, um, Yeah, well, and then we'll get to the 111 because he sent me a picture of that car, and you got 111 on that thing, too. It's crazy. <laughs> um, well, I uh, – the Citroen story is actually quite funny because, you know, most people go, well, I've got this Citroen SM and, and they expect you to go, oh, that's pretty cool, you know. <laughs> but, but I actually, I actually, it was very near and dear to my heart because, um, you know, I mean, this is a whole other story. But, you know, basically, once you got done wanting to be a fireman and an astronaut, <laughs> I got kind of serious and said I'm going to be a veterinarian. Right. So basically from age 14 on, you know, that was my goal and high school was goal and 
And it, funny enough, it wasn't it was a few years ago where somebody asked my parents whether I how my veterinary career was going, <laughs> you know, because you know, it was just like one of those things where, you know, your parents, you know, everybody thought you were going to be a veterinarian. For you know, six all years, through. that's all they talk yeah, about. You yeah, just assume. Yeah. So so uh, part of my process uh, in studies was I went over to um, Germany and I lived in Germany and worked for a large animal veterinarian because I, I – my goal was to eventually get into uh, veterinary school in Munich. So, oh, wow. so uh, I was trying to get into UC Davis, and I was still needing to f- complete my pre-veterinary programs and, and you know my major to get there. But yet, I thought, well, I can go over to Europe, and it's actually a full program as opposed to going to undergraduate school to on to. A veterinary program. Okay. So I went over to Germany to work for a large one stop shop, essentially. Yeah. And yeah. I had, and they were also allowing in 19 or 20. Um, Get him young, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, they, they were out allowing in 19 or 20 uh, foreign students every oh, year. So, so it was actually okay. a fairly good, better odds because it was actually harder to get into veterinary school than it was to get into medical school good in California because there's only one veterinary school and there's oh. medical schools everywhere. So yeah. the ratio of applicants to spaces was very difficult. But anyway, hmm. I went over to Europe and lived in Germany. So I, I – I was working for a veterinarian uh, over there, and the cool part was we went from farm to farm every day. And the cool part was is that we were in a basically a Citroen SM. Uh-huh. The veterinarian had a Citroen SM. And my very first day, I'm in this Citroen SM. We He raises up the suspension. We turn off the highway. We're on a... T- <laughs> Two-track farm road. He's hauling ass. There's still snow on the ground. And I'm in a Maserati-powered Citroen SM. There's rattling bottles of uh, insemination materials in the back. There's dry ice containers keeping everything cold. It's like there's every type of gadget to work on every large animal possible it literally and we'd open it sounds a like a top gear build to yeah, me though the way you're describing whole, it yeah it only had two seats <laughs> and it, the whole thing whole back was filled with stuff and then you know we would deliver calves and vaccinate pigs and uh, you know whatever but everything was out of this citroen sm and i literally spent a year tearing around the roads and it was funny because it was like the veterinarian kind of has like a you know a free pass because he's a veterinarian yeah and every and i gotta get to the horse i gotta get to the goat a big bavarian bavarian veterinarian who wears (laughs) who wears lederhosen every single day and drives a french maserati powered citroen you you're known like and every monday we would do meat inspections so we inspect all the meat and we'd always come away from there with this big slab of beef or something and that's lunch today and it was just like it was pretty cool so i I was my biggest fear was that we were going to have an accident someday (laughs) and that this stuff that was behind me that we were just sending through tubes into cows was going to be everywhere So wow. anyway, that's, that's my Citroen SM. So is that your introduction to rally driving? <laughs> yeah, it was. I, would, I, had, I had a lot of respect for him, so for sure. And, you know, it's kind of like it even today, you know, when I'm location scouting, I say, well, you know, rallying is just like high-speed location scouting. So it's all, all, all kind of the same. But I, I 
loved the life there. Uh, there was a book out um, called All Creatures Great and Small by James Harriot. It was a really famous book at that time. And it was funny because I'd read that book, and it was a story of a veterinarian, I believe, in England. And, and he went to farm to farm. And I was an Orange County, Southern California boy. And I got off a train, off a plane in Frankfurt and took a train to Munich and went door to door to veterinary hospitals trying to get a job. Wow. And, then, and, you know, about three months into it, working out in the country, I realized I'm living all creatures great and small, this whole book I read. So it was a very cool experience. You seem, gosh, that's. A lot of your stories seem to uh, either revolve around or end in serendipity of some sort. Does that make sense? Is that is, is, I, that, is that your very, life? I'm very lucky. Yeah, I really am. Is it? I, do you consider it luck? That's sort of why I'm asking. That's why I'm bringing it well, up. Well, at some point, you know, you want to keep it as luck. You know, you don't want. Why would take you want the responsibility? It. Yeah, you don't want to think that it's owed or anything in yeah. there. And I think that. You know, you have to get close to the door to be able to open it, you know. Hmm. So it's I try to be close to the door. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's just it's just next time uh, someone asks me, what's the best advice you ever got? <laughs> so that's, that's the, you know, good. if you could just be close and that's the thing that so often it's just taking advantage of the moments. And that's what I like about the spontaneity of life and filmmaking is that, you know, just because you need that background if there's a rainbow and a thunderhead behind you, you turn shoot around it. and shoot it. <laughs> so, so, you know, be flexible enough in life to do that. So, wow. Yeah. That's Good so lesson, cool. sir. Um, I still have more stuff for me, too, but I've got a couple of viewer questions here from okay. some people that we know. Uh, Kevin Lynch would like to know, given your incredible history with the Porsche Mark, what's your most favorite Porsche experience, if such a thing can possibly be said? The Porsche Experience Center being brand collection. <laughs> uh, that worked out. See you Saturday. <laughs> yeah, see you Saturday. Uh, no, you know, and, and you think about it, it's like, you know, so many things are a culmination of it. And at least he did acknowledge that there may not be an answer to well, that. Well, I would say that there are two, you know, when you look at my world uh, with Porsche, you know, it's really in three segments. It's my daily life, it's my racing life, and it's my business life as a common thread in mm -hmm. terms of my office being a Cayenne and my longest client has been Porsche. So, I mean, I would have to say there's two of them really, but, but the one that probably is the most closest to me is just um it's the life it's a life experience that porsche a porsche provided for me that and it's kind of a long story so i'll try to summarize it sure. but, but just the fact that you know um i it is a long story, but basically, <laughs> my cares? dad made me. Listen, uh, <laughs> you're not going to be cut off. Yeah, there will, but, there but, will be no more over. I don't. Time. I don't want to <laughs> bore anybody. But but basically, all through you know Freeman Thomas days and everything, my father made me invest half the money that I made, no I matter what it was, in the stock market. And so I invested this money, and you know, it was, I got a dollar per paper per month. So it was like thirty five dollars, forty dollars a month, and. So I would take half that money and I invest in the stock market. He gave me my choice of stocks. So I was a kid. I, oh, you got yeah, to make – he yeah. dictated what was happening, but you made yeah. your own decisions. So, but I, I liked sports, so I liked AMF, you know, and they made the basketballs and footballs and made all stuff. Bowling but they also had the a – they had bowling, but they also had an, uh, a military – side. they did a lot mm. of things and everything. But they really um, – 
American Machine and Foundry. So I invested in that. I invested in Chrysler. I don't know why, but wow. I invested in Chrysler. I invested surprisingly in in um, Northrop, I think, which ended up to be a your, client. But but, um, but and that was your dad's company, right? No, my dad was at McDonnell Douglas, oh, but that's they right, eventually that's right. okay. did merge. But but um, so the deal was, I couldn't spend that money till after I got out of high school. So literally from about age 13, because I was early on in the working force from about age 13. So I had a good six years, I think, of, of investments. Saving and investing. In there. Yeah. yeah. And the things I invested in did really well. And when I graduated from high school, I wanted to buy a car because I never had a car, you know, all through high school. I drove my parents' cars, which were not bad to drive. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, clearly. But, uh, 9-11. So, so I, 35th 9-11 May. Yeah, so I, I, <laughs> said, I decided that out of school, I really wanted to buy a car. And naturally, I wanted to buy a 9-11. But they were too expensive. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, when people talk about Porsche, what comes to mind first, I always say the sound, you know, yeah, so unique, even- especially in those times. And the flat six is just a special sound. Mm-hmm. Well, I just so badly wanted a six cylinder 911. Well, I looked at things and it was too expensive or they were just too old and too bad of shape. There was a six cylinder 914. And that six-cylinder 914 was the 914.6. It was kind of a little bit of a ugly duckling in the time, and and it was a little not selling real well. People didn't know what to make of it, right? Yeah, and it was just kind of a— Is it this or is it that? It was a confusing car in the marketplace, but the people that had them, I just thought they were so cool. And there were a few racing that I just thought were the greatest. And then so I looked around, and I found a low-mileage 914.6, and the reason, part of the reason why, even in 1973, there were still cars at the port, brand new cars not sold from 1970. So it was oh just, my you know, it was just like it. So deals were being deals made. Deals were made. And, wow. and then the people that had them as used cars, they were not very valuable. So, so yeah. anyway. <laughs> when a new one's so cheap. So sure. I bought this yellow 914.6. And so to fast forward, because there's a lot of things that happened along the way with that. But so in 1997, and this is after buying the car in 1973. Mm-hmm. In 1997, I entered an FIA marathon rally, which was Panama to Alaska, 10,000 miles, 25 days. And I, the car had to be 1972 or earlier. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, 9146 <laughs> is perfect to run in it, but I wouldn't want to do it in my car because I wouldn't want to ruin it because this could be – 25 days running through Central America and, and all, the way, the car, yeah. all the way above the Arctic Circle. I thought, this isn't going to, you know, it not, may not end well. <laughs> but then I thought, well, if I do well, I'll want to keep the car that I did the race in and I won't want my original car. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do it in my car. So we built the car. That's a nice 180 there. I, yeah, I love yeah. where you settled. So, so we built the car completely to FIA spec and everything of 1970. And we... Uh, entered the car, and 25 days later, you know, we finished in Alaska, in Anchorage. But along the way, my dad was in the service vehicle chasing us. And think to think that my dad was chasing this car that he had made me invest since <laughs> age 13 and, and, you know, kind of guided me of what, how to buy it when I got out of high school – this is the same car. And my dad, who had not really done any big life experiences of other than, you know, vacations in the summer and things, 
he was on a 25-day in-the-service vehicle, in the trenches every night, repairing, fixing with the mechanic and everything. And it just is such a special moment that for a father and son moment, for an emotional kind of tie to your youth to your, you know, your later years, especially for my father. And it's just something that he'll never, he never will forget. It was just the, the greatest life adventure he's on. But it was all caused by this yellow car I bought out of high school. So that moment is certainly one of the most special car moments. And even to this day, because I certainly attribute my interest in cars heavily to my father and to have had that influence that ultimately led to my entire career, you know, it's, it's, it's a very cool moment to have to look back on. It's a great moment. It's a great yeah. story. I mean, you know, story. I've got my own father-son yeah. stuff, so that, you know, hits yeah. my heartstrings. That's awesome. Yeah, it's very good. Cool. How I mean, old was he then? Oh, let's see. Because it was funny. Uh, the mechanic he was with was only about three years younger than him, and I think they said that they were, they were in their 60s. So That's wow. awesome so, that you gave him that good. experience. Yeah, yeah. So no, cool. it was really good. And then, you know, certainly from my business world, uh, of the work I've done with Porsche, you know, I've shot an awful lot of commercials, but the commercial, the family tree, which was the launch of the Panamera, you know, I think you kind of imagine salt flats one or yeah, that, whatever yeah, it, yeah. Up, it yeah. was out, or out, faked, faked at fake, least faked out on the <laughs> desert, but shot at El Toro <laughs> Marine Base. But, you know, to be in a helicopter and working, you know, I literally, I had, we had over 40 cars. We had about 36 historically significant cars and then the production cars that were uh, there to support the Panamera. And to we literally, like, I made, like, flip charts and would do, like, a football <laughs> play charts of you're going to split the off here, of you're going to split all. the choreography of ever, all these cars forming the family tree. And you're in a helicopter, and you've gone over all these moves with all your drivers. And we had as many as 25 cars at a time on the move, which Whoa. means 25 people on walkie-talkies. And all of a sudden, and you're in the helicopter, and you give countdowns. You're also in a moving space. Yeah, and you give countdowns, and you, and somebody knows that the 917 is going to split right on this countdown. Mm. The 908 is going to split left. The you know two-liter RSR is going to go. You know, it was like. You're, you're up there looking at this happen below you, and it's like everything you knew about Porsche and Porsche Motorsport and racing and filmmaking and everything all in this one minute. And you're just like, it's I, it was so special. It's everything at It once. was yeah. so special. Stars aligned. And, and, you know, at the same time, because it was Porsche and virtually every cool person who'd given me a car to use in this – you were always yeah, a afraid, lot of personal scared, cars, of course, scared yeah. to death you were going to damage something at the same time so, <laughs> yeah. and be always remembered as that guy. <laughs> so, didn't, didn't want to do that, that either. So. Guy. Wow. Well, I just think of that. It's, I hate to use the word iconic because people do that all the time. But I think of uh, places where it's the opening to Grand Tour when the Grand Tour yeah. came back. Yeah. That, to me, smacked right out of the yeah. right yeah. Out of your, your work. Oh, it did. And, you know, one of the greatest compliments I had for that is that I do uh, – when I go to Germany and go to Weissach, you know, occasionally I get to go to the design studio and see friends that are still there, like Grant Larson. And mm. and uh, I discovered one day, not too long ago, or I, I didn't discover it, it was told to me the other day that they use that film to introduce new products in internally. And so That's that... Because so cool. this is the DNA. I mean, we the opening scene of that commercial 
is Jerry Seinfeld's 1949 Gamoon. Right. And you know, that little thing's just teetering at face. you. And that little, that face and that vehicle that really says the beginnings. Mm -hmm. And then that family tree spans clear to the Panamera at that yeah. time. So they drop Spaceship new product. In yeah, they drop new product into it and just see if it feels right to that for the presentation. I thought, that's wow. so cool. So, you know, here 10 You created the lineage years, that they're yeah, using. 10 or 15 years later, they're still dropping new product into it. So I thought that was a really cool moment. It's nothing we'll ever see, but the fact that internally they really use it that cool. way. So, it says to me that you can capture emotional through lines. Yeah. So yeah. that gives, uh, will let me finish that book that I'm reading because <laughs> I literally cry and bawl my eyes out every page. And I oh, the art of racing in the rain. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, I guess four. I mean I don't know how much we can talk about that because it's not out yet. But we could. I would love to if you have any interest yeah, in speaking I mean, about experiences with this project. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was funny. Same for me. I mean, ten years ago, the book came out. Garth Stein wrote the book, and and uh, it was just a book that every page I turned, my mind would go in two different directions. And one is I want to keep reading, and the other is, wow, where could I go visually with this? You know, it's just so cool because. Having now that I've told my Citroen SM and veterinary story, sure. this book is really a bit of my veterinary side and obviously my racing side. Mm -hmm. So it really struck me in many, many ways. And I, I love the communication through a dog. Because if anybody asked me if I could be anything or have any skill in your life, you know, it would be to understand what a dog's thinking, especially the bigger breeds, because they're. They're so deep, you know, mm -hmm. they, you look at them and you go, they know everything, Yeah, you know, and, you know, I want to know what they're thinking about and looking at. And, you know, that would just be such a cool skill. Well, the movie is told through the eyes of a dog. And so that perspective and what the dog sees and what the dog thinks back is kind of pulled back. You know, they pull back the curtain along the way of mm. kind of what a dog would be viewing and seeing. And, and that perspective is really interesting to me. And then obviously the racing side of it, I got to use kind of my racing intuition. And, you know, I raced in ALMS for a couple races and I've known IMSA for years. And so we teamed up with them to kind of provide the backdrop for racing in it. So the racing for the most part, you know, obviously I recreated a number of things within it, mm -hmm. but, but our basis of it was IMSA and sports car racing and all that. so so it's pretty cool and the and the the film is uh directed by Simon Curtis who did my uh, my week with Marilyn and mm. and Simon was wonderful to work with and then the everybody was just super supportive and uh, you know obviously the the main thing was Patrick Dempsey who I've known for so many years through Porsche connections again and everything crazy? and Patrick and I've been you know friends for so many years and he bought the rights to the book um, about five years ago and, and tried to get it pushed through a number of studios and Fox 2000 came along and, and uh, backed it. And, and uh, so that combination of working with Patrick and making sure that the racing side and the vision of that came through was just a – it was a great – you know, you're the one of, who gets to do it. Yeah, me, there, the there's, moment, there's moments where it just takes everything you know and you've lived in and you, you translate it to something. I so. was going to say, I certainly believe that there are certainly things in this world that every once in a while, there's the right guy for the job. And yeah. this is one yeah. of those things yeah. where you are the right guy for yeah. the job. It just it, makes sense. It was fun. And, and I loved working with the dog. And I loved being on set watching the dogs work. And so This is a stuff. separate question. I was going to ask you, who is your best friend? 
<laughs> I mean, I have I have a, a guess who you might say, but who well, is just, your best friend? Just to put in the plug, though, the film will be out oh. September 27th. There we go. So, <laughs> I can't we, say that. So, we all can't no, wait for it. And the so, book is, is yeah, fantastic. The Art of Racing so, in the Rain is a wonderful book to read, easy, easy book to read. So who is my best friend? Jeez. You know, that's – I, I got to say that it's – you know, I, I couldn't even answer that. I thought you would say Jezebel. I did. You know, I really you thought know, you Jezebel. would say Jezebel. There's just so <laughs> many people and so many influences and obviously your own family and everything, everything that kind of all adds up to, you know, you. And, yeah. and that that's uh, so good. But Jezebel and dogs in general, you know, I just I just like coming down to their level and mm. and enjoying them and and being around them and and watching them be a dog not you know not something at the end of a leash mm. so that's its own entity big wow, deal. that's beautiful yeah mm-hmm. we had a conversation when we were again at your shop mm-hmm. more time I, I i feel it's the same way with old trees or anything else they just yeah. you, you you get a sense that they fucking understand everything way better than even we do no i really do and you know we i've i don't know why but we've just always had really great dogs you know well, you don't know why no no but we've had different breeds and different things and we've just I think tried you guys are everything. communicators i think yeah. you're open to just the most the modest human <laughs> agreed okay that's what's going on okay. oh, well, well, but, but, <laughs> but, it, but it's been interesting with the different breeds and we had a, a queensland blue healer you know and, and i used to joke that that dog did our taxes you know? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was you know such an intelligent dog and and that dog my father who's in assisted living and when we bring him home bring him to our house and bring him in the wheelchair and set him down chair that dog would come over and smell his ears and look at him and just just <laughs> what is going on with this guy today and yeah. you know and you just know it's it's but they know they, they know everything yeah, yeah. so and that's that's a, a beautiful thing about the movie too i appreciate so. that you believe that stuff i do oh, too oh i i 100% believe it um, and there's a lot of stories coming out now too, with that you can smell different things and the yeah. certain animals. And yeah. this is all sort of hitting the news now. I believe yeah. in all of it. Uh, Mr. Ray Schaefer from Porsche would like to know. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> this is good. Our a- friend Ray. This What's is your good. favorite chair? <laughs> yeah. As a filmmaker, is there a story out there that has not yet been told? If so, what is that story? And would you like a shot at it? <laughs> wow. That's complicated. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, in my 30-second world of advertising, it's it's so funny because, you know, I've been shooting commercials for so long. It's always fun to see what the agencies come up with to tell the stories. And, some you know, sometimes they're genuinely fresh ways to look at it. And it, it, it's almost a reactionary uh, time where things come in and you're as soon as you see it and you're motivated by the core of it – then your mind takes it someplace visually and you try to make it unique in that. And I think that's um, – I, I, you know, it's like if you knew what it was, you'd be trying to do it. But I Well, maybe a year ago this would have been the yeah, art of racing yeah. in the rain maybe and would have I, been the answer to that. I think, you know, like if you – we've been – I've been so fortunate to kind of give these give, – given these projects that are – all performance-based, but sometimes very complex to figure out. Like the, we did the world's fastest zootrope where we put panels of all of the game. We, this was for Forza, and we built panels next to the side of the racetrack and drove past them and created the animation 
uh, You're as kidding. we drove past it. That's and how you got the ideas for like. They, what it looks well, they like came and... to us wanting to create a zootrope <laughs> and drive past something and do this. So we created this whole thing at Barber Motorsport, and it was it was unbelievable. Like to, we set up almost seven hundred panels next to the track oh my and God. the bigger Just along the, wall? the bigger the panel no they were each on individual stands with oh two two sandbags on each stand and that's what were, I, you know me i'm going they, to the infrastructure they were on <laughs> printed on aluminum sheets so that they wouldn't be affected by the sun or the weather or Wind anything and, stuff, yeah. and everything and then each each panel had to be in sequence to the animation so because we lifted each off the cell of the film for the game itself and to be, to know by math that we needed to pass this size of panel, thirty of them per second, dictated that speed, and we had speeds from seventy miles an hour, ninety miles an hour, and one hundred and twenty. Oh, miles right, because each one's a frame. Yeah, in your so video. the yeah, bigger, course, sure. the bigger the panel, the faster we had to go. To be in the modern technology today of shooting the way we do, we have a live feed watching it's not like you sent the film out and see if it worked you know anymore fingers crossed. yeah <laughs> and you we, i'm in a mclaren with tanner faust and we are doing you know 110 miles an hour 115 miles an hour and the panels they're going like this as you pass, and we yeah. hit 120 and all of a sudden that just and it locks in and i mean look at still wow. to this unbelievable day, it's, and you find that. You have to find it. Yeah. You, but it was the math. Right. If we drove at 120 miles an hour, it would be That's locked off be, and yeah. did it. And then the but it smaller, sounds like a Mythbusters the episode, smallest, the way you have to science the smaller it. Band, so we created this all around the Barber Motorsport track and, and filmed from a McLaren and, and did it. So these kind of, you know, you never know where these things are going to take you. And to Ray's question, I think, you know, a week before that, I didn't know that existed. Yeah. And, and that's a really fun thing. And I think that, you know, my side of things is probably less the more the performance than less the emotional side. And I think that as time goes on, I really appreciated the fact to really work on something that was so emotional as as the art of racing in the rain and see that work. And even for me, shooting some of the scenes that I shot with the dog they're the most beautiful scenes I've ever shot. I was going to ask about so, that because yeah. you're Mr. Action and now yeah. you're doing Mr. Heart. Yeah, you but I was that we were still in, still in action, but I could just see just shooting as going, wow, this is really special. And what's fun is, you know, in that project, which, you know, doesn't happen in two or three days like a commercial, it happens month after month. You really immerse yourself in the story. Mm -hmm. And Simon Curtis, the director, you know, he's really immersed in it. But I need to know the story to shoot my parts because mm -hmm. I shot basically everything automotive, everything high action, and I shot a few scenes with the dogs and all those sort of things. But, sure. but uh, it, it just was so fun to be immersed in an emotional story that you were translating the storytelling pieces that revolved around race cars. Yeah. You know, because you, you couldn't fully step into the race car thing. You still needed to draw to the emotional so. I can't wait to see the movie. <laughs> I can't, can't wait. wait to see what you're doing with it. <laughs> um, this is from Nutshell. How many times did you yell at Freeman to keep his bike away from your 914? <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall. I don't recall ever yelling at Freeman. I, I, I really enjoyed the, the Freeman stories the other day, and you know, it's it's funny because think think of this. And Freeman didn't really put 
Freeman's so Freeman is a visionary. You know, he really you know, he he talks with this pencil and you know, we've all heard the stories, but he literally and I I he talked about the TT, mm-hmm. but literally my wife and I were out to lunch with them in Ingolstadt and and he said, oh, I'm working on a little something at home, you know, and he just sketched the TT. And I wished to this day I'd hung on Kept to it, that yeah. thing. But but that's kind of, you know, he, he it's almost like he doesn't want to explain it. He just wants to show you, you know, and he can almost fluently do that. But yeah. the funny thing is, is think of these two kids that were riding around the neighborhood, chasing around to get to the garage doors before they shut when somebody <laughs> would see come what's home. In there, yeah. yeah. And, and then we go away from each other. And I'm on a path to be a veterinarian, and he's on the path to, in the military. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, right, Air Force. And right. so we're, we're we're gone. You know, we're we're not in contact. We're, this isn't social media days or yeah. anything. We're gone. We're we're never going to see, see each other again. Or yeah. not? Yeah. And then I independently apply to Art Center because I loved photography. Photography was o- the only reason for photography was for me to be around cars. That was my motivation. Really? Yeah, it was my motivation. I mean, I photography was fun, and my dad took pictures, and I always kind of took pictures along the way. But I just wanted to be around cars, so that was my method to be around cars. So I end up at Art Center College of Design, and I'm learning the craft of photography because I didn't didn't know any other way to learn it. So I'm there, and so then. Well, how did then, you get in? I asked him the same question. How did you get into art? Uh, I actually did some photography classes and everything. And I actually, while I was working for the veterinarian, I started traveling around Europe. Uh, so going you had to a races. portfolio so, to, to... Yeah, so I okay. had a portfolio okay. to get in. But I, it was still... It was a very difficult... Freeman said that. It was a very difficult school to get sure, into. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I started with 62 kids in my class, and we graduated with 19. Jeez. So it was a, a tough one. So, But wow. Freeman, but then to think these two kids are ridden around town mm. on a bicycle and everything, Freeman ends up at Art Center to design cars. And while I was, um, and, and we didn't really make any connection while we were in Art Center because I was basically done with Art Center when he was starting. Okay. But the funny part is, is that, you know, when you're an Art Center and you're a photographer, everybody in my class wanted to shoot girls, or tabletop, or landscapes. I wanted to shoot cars. I was the only guy shooting cars in my class. So the uh, so, so your work stands up, out, I'm guessing. So, so it works stood out, but all my buddies were in transportation design. You got to meet oh so my God. totally yeah, different they, they were, people. They were oh, yes. one floor away from us, and so I was like Brilliant. always always uh, interested in what they were doing. They were always interested in what I was doing, and so so but that, so then. Somehow we get connected again, Freeman and I, and I actually would have to ask Freeman how that happened. So I, and Freeman's first job out of Art Center was at Porsche. Right. My first job out of, one of my early jobs out of Art Center was to work at Road and Track Magazine. And honestly, going into the first semester of Art Center, my highest aspiration was to shoot something for Road and Track someday. That was just what I'd like to do. Yeah, and so I ended up, Shooting probably thirty covers or so of run track and things, but my common thread because of my interest was always to every Porsche story. Hey, put me in, you know. Every Porsche. <laughs> so I saw every apartment Freeman and Renee lived in in Vysock, 
in Ingolstadt. I mean, he literally lived in like three different apartments and outside of Weissach in different times. And and we were always in these little German upstairs things with the walls all slanted in on you and everything. And 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 I just remember we, you know, it's just so humble. And yet, both of us were doing something that was like just the coolest thing you know he he was working on a 959 yeah and i was over there to shoot a 959 driving 200 miles an hour on the autobahn for a road and track cover story and you're you how know? old yeah but you know here he is working on it here i am photographing it for road and track and you know i literally like what'd you do today? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we'd sit around in this little apartment and talk and like, you know, we're the last two Americans on earth. So. <laughs> That's the best. So, it was, it, so that, that kind of stuff is magical. So in other words, I don't recall ever yelling. <laughs> that was cute. I think he mentioned something about, you know, him still having a bike yeah, when you had yeah, a license yeah, or something yeah, like that. So. Um, I am curious what you do for fun. Is there anything that is unrelated to your interests that we all know about that you do for relaxation or fun? You, you know, um, it's my life is so uh, it's just truly a blessing or, tr- you know, I don't know what it just getting to travel, yeah. you know, like the two most in- unintimidating things in my life are a car and travel. Mm. I would get on a plane tomorrow I would fly to where you, any city in the world and get off the plane and work with you know, public transportation and get myself to a hotel and figure out the money and do all stuff. It just is like, I don't, if it wasn't for visas, I could do it anywhere, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 is, it just is, there's no intimidation to it. That's yeah, wonderful. I can get off and do it. So that part. The world's a small place yeah, for you. And, and, but that's constantly my life too. You know, I am always traveling and going places. So, so you kind of, when you're done with that, what do you do? Yeah. And, and then the other side of it is the car is an enabler for me. I mean, it, it's my office, it's my high speed camera car on a shoot. Social it's, life. It's, it's what takes me to work daily. And then it's my um, passion of experiencing different eras of Porsche and sharing mm. it with people at events, you know, and getting in something from 1949 and driving it on a freeway, <laughs> you know, it just is <laughs> like, there are just moments where life completely slows down by the apparatus you sat in, you know, mm. and that, that is such a special thing. So when it comes time to what do you want to do on your vacation? I, I, I will say that, if I if it was just me, which would be a selfish answer, <laughs> I would I would say I would just go to the Frankfurt Airport, and I'd go rent some sort of BMW or something. And I honestly believe I've done it enough; it doesn't matter. And I would just go to Nurburgring, and I'd stay at the Piston Class and stay right in the middle of the track. And have my steak on the rock every night of cooked on the hot rock and and just do laps. Really? And just and do it by myself. Just I don't Is that your meditation? Don't anything. It just would be so fun because I don't no matter what car you have at Nürburgring when you go out on the public hours, 
you're just you're trying to beat the guy ahead of you and watch out for the guy coming up fast behind you. and then they go by they go by you and you just marvel oh that was really cool it was like a gt3 rs with so and so and all this stuff and i can't believe that ferrari was chasing them, you know and and then and you, you all of a sudden get somebody in your sights and you got it you're in a volvo station wagon and you just mm-hmm. put your head down and go, i'm gonna get this guy you know and he's gonna remember it <laughs> yep, yep, you know? yep, yep. so you know that's my own personal world but but beyond that you know i just We've kind of fallen into a mode the last few years, which is fairly well documented now. But, <laughs> but um, a canoe on the there roof of an old Porsche, and a big furry dog behind the seat, <laughs> and my wife and I. And again, it's just not intimidating. And if there's a lake off the left side of us, we're gonna pull over. Park the car, not going to worry about it disappearing or anything, throw the canoe off, put it in the lake, and we're just going to go paddle around and with this big 95-pound dog <laughs> up front. And it's just fun. And you just look at that dog, uh, how out of place it is that this Bernese mountain dog made to pull milk carts in Switzerland <laughs> finds itself in the front of a canoe, carbon fiber canoe, cruising across a lake. And you just look at how... It's all so wrong yet so right. You know, I got there in a – we all think we need 200, 300 horsepower these days. Mm. I got there in 60 horsepower with a 16-foot canoe on the roof, <laughs> you know. And we we have the bags that fit in that car, which right. are nothing. And so that whole side of it where when life can really slow down, be unusually non-complex – you know, compared to the complexity of daily working mm. and everything, it's just really nice. And it's funny. It's all you. You know, you're almost having to pedal that car, you know. It's it's so slow. Yeah, but and, and it's got 16-inch bias belt tires. You know, they're literally three inches wide mm. on each side touching the ground. And that's it. And, yeah. and you know, you know you're going to move forward. You know that that dog is just peace and comfort and yet game for anything at any moment and we're just here for the, the ride of whatever it happens there. so and that's just that's a nice moment sounds like jeff's worth just always near that door <laughs> it sounds like you know a great I mean? day just be near the door <laughs> yeah so great advice no but i do i just that side of things i think when you can kind of strip away the complexities and and do something like that you know there as much as we'd like to you know you think you're, you're, we really live in a motorized world, you know, to actually hand paddle a canoe across a lake or out in the ocean or whatever. It's just, it's just kind of fun. And it's also one of those it's things. Analog. It's, you, nice. it's, it's like not like a bicycle or something. We all can kind of ride along in it. And that's a, a nice aspect, too. So, hmm. uh, Look at you, man. <laughs> Who knew? You know, I was thinking, you guys are on to something here, too. There's a there's another show you could do. Okay. Yeah, there's another show you could do. You might have changed seats. I'm ready for that. But, but, you know, Nicole is so hyper aware of her being. And you're very astute yourself. She describes it in a very comforting way that breaks it down without a lot of intimidation in the description. That I was thinking, you know, it was kind of like if you're you've taken what you have and break it down and kind of explore it within your own head, but share it that 
if you were in a position where somebody was invited in here dealing with whatever they're dealing with and show them that you can self um self assess yourself and under you know try to understand what's going on inside because let's face it we know ourselves the best and when you're faced with something where you really have to dig deep to do that to be able to share that and break it down so it's very um people in here would realize it's something that i can share and because you do and then when you look at the other side of it people outside will look at it and say well geez you know I should think about myself. I should think about what, you know, what's good going on, what's bad going on. You know, how does this go? And I mean, it's 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 just it's kind of a nice way of sharing and I just find that the way you have carried yourself and and verbalized it is something that it's it goes far beyond the show. So it's good. Thanks. I think it's really oh. important that she hear that, especially from someone like you, Jeff. <laughs> oh. I will uh, hold on to that. And you might have changed seats, you know? Well, yeah. <laughs> we'll get good. there. Right. I know good. he would love it. That's good. This originally was supposed to be horror podcasts. Yeah. Oh, really? That's the truth of it. Oh, wow. Before we got to the whole J. Ryan uh-huh. letter yeah. and the, the, yeah. the bottom of all that, this was supposed to be, oh, let's give Mrs. Ryan a voice and her old thing yeah. back. So I think this is all the process that will lead to her own thing. I just don't know what that is yet, and you seem to have a bunch of different um, ways you could go, and I think you're going to go to all of them. Mm-hmm. That's my feeling. Yeah. How about you? I have so many thoughts, and I could speculate immensely. I think right now this is your spot. I know I'm going to do something, but I need to finish my memoir, I think, first mm-hmm. so that it launch pads the rest of it because yeah. I think that uh, what you're saying too. is yeah. – so important in what I want to do, but like no one has a basis for me yet other than my affiliation with other people's stories, and I yeah. don't want to tell theirs. So yeah, no, but there's I'll a really them. great uh, sharing and kind of feeling that it's just it's because so many people are facing challenges, but they hold it inside, you know, and it's just a it's a very comfortable way to not just make yourself feel better, but to give information to people to have them realize, hey, I can do that too. So so yeah. cool of yeah. you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, gosh, that would be a nice time to end, but I can't not, <laughs> ask, a, can't not ask about Lufkakult while yeah. you're here. Oh, Lufkakult's yeah. coming Everyone's up. Everybody's asking. talking about it. Um, I know you probably can't say too much other than obviously you're here today to release the, uh, the location. I'm just, kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not true. <laughs> um, but uh, is there anything you can tell us? The, the only picture I've seen even teasing it is, of course, of your 914. yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's coming, I think up. it's coming up. It'll be, uh, you know, it's May 11th. And, uh, you know, first of all, you know, Patrick and Howie kind of came up with this idea mm-hmm. and, and Patrick's really kind of led the thought process here. And I've always kind of from the, it, it's just like a com- the commercial world, you know, they threw out a good concept uh-huh. and I took that concept and I just, Oh, you know, I want to do something with that. So behind the scenes, you know, I've, always kind of answered the calls from Patrick and, and, and it's just been, it's been fun to see it evolve, but, um, you know, I've gotten more involved in it as time goes. And, and I think that the thing is, is we've tried not to repeat locations and the scaling of it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And we want to try to be all inclusive, but you know, the hard part these days is that 
you know, the, it's a real event and it, it falls under fa safety standards and fire standards yeah. and kind of all these things. So it's it, we'd love to just open the gates and let people come in. And so now we have to be, you know, somewhat, uh, well, we have to be diligent to, yeah. to everything that is. Everything has to be done the right way. Event. Yeah. So, so that, that part makes it difficult at times. And I, I'll tell you the next event that's coming up is going to be, you know, you never know, but we, we learned a lot last year. Last year we did the event at Canal Lumber. Yeah. Canal was an incredible partner for us and just opened up the doors on this incredible space that that uh, I had so much fun in staging the cars and setting the It was just so fun. And, you know, it's, and it's kind of like, you know, on paper, we're going to go to a lumber yard. And, and there was nothing off but, limits, but, though. There was nothing was, off it limits. It was so fun. And, I, I mean, they were the dream partners, and everybody has been to this point, you know, each of the places we've gone. So um, it's it just is one of those things where um, you have to step up. And last year, we kind of, after we finished that, we ended up with two more events, like literally, I mean, and I didn't even know about them really. And suddenly we went to England, mm -hmm. we went to Bister Heritage to, for uh, an event in England. And then like just uh, well, two months later, we were in Germany and Munich right. and, and had an event there. And so the it, photos of both of those were spectacular yeah, as well. And, and I, I kind of got in a zone and all of us got in a zone of this is so cool, the visuals that can come out of it and everything. And I think it just helped define what this can be. And yeah. and uh, those two events, but doing all three last year, I think uh, we learned a lot uh, of everything. And I, I Being able to take the show on the road yeah. is always good when you have a home base somewhere because you mm -hmm. get to try out all the shit that yeah. you wouldn't necessarily do at the home base. Yeah. And the support yeah. and the, the people that turn up is just so much fun, you know, like being in Europe and having an entire different pool of cars. To yeah, that must you know, be nice. It was, it was so, uh, you know, for me, it was just like motivational to, oh, man, there's just so many cool things to take care of here. And, 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 and you know, Patrick and Howie have been so great in the process. And it just it's a combination of everything that makes it uh, a really fun, fun evolution to be a part of. Right. And it's not defined itself really yet in, in, in a mean? solid way. I, I, it's defined meaning that I, I like that people can stay on their heels. Oh, I see. Rather than on their toes. Yes, I see. So, and I like the fact that, you know, nobody really knows, you know, what the next location is or what the featured mark will be or how these things will be. So right. Not featured mark, but featured uh, storyline in it. So it's it's just a fun project but yet the turnout and the support of everybody is wonderful and obviously we wouldn't be here without that but it's uh it's really touched people in a different way that a car show has yeah. traditionally so for me it went from a word that nobody could pronounce to a word that everyone knows <laughs> yes yeah to me Still that's can't pronounce accomplished. It, but they can yeah <laughs> but most people most people yeah. get something out no and that was what it was for me and i mean obviously with my german background you know i i knew you know i knew what all that meant but um it really was a word that captivated me the moment that patrick long called me and said you know i've got this idea of gathering and we're thinking we're going to call it Lufkukult, it was like, oh, that's just, that's too good, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, in, I'm in the world of advertising. I'm filming commercials all over the world. I'm taking people's ideas and trying to make the best of it. 
we're selling incredible cars at times and we're selling cars that are hard to make look great you know <laughs> but you, the goal is always to elevate and to elevate and bring things forward and and i love that challenge i really do but this was one of those things that as soon as you heard it it's like ah oh, we can do so much with it it's just it just captivated me and not many things come along that kind of just make me stop everything and yeah. think about what it be. And The Art of Racing in the Rain, the book, you yeah. know, these these moments in life you realize don't come along that often. And so, you know, for me, I just wanted to be involved in some way because I was just so motivated by the name alone. What does it mean? So it means air-cooled. It, it does. Yeah, air-cooled okay. in German. So, yeah, oh. and it just is, and Luft is, <clears throat> Luft is the air part. So, okay. And so it's just... I love when your mind runs with something, and you know it's so. It's I think as a creative person, that's your that's your, you know, that gets you going in in life, and that's what I love about racing at Pikes Peak. You know, mm. you don't know what it's what's happening in the next twelve and a half miles. You got to make it up as you go. <laughs> you but know better you, than so, anyone else in the world, and you have no idea. Yeah, well, you know, you're, <laughs> you're standing at Pikes Peak. You're sitting at the starting line, and you see the mountain. If in the very first left hand turn. As you leave the line at Pikes Peak to drive 12 and a half miles, you're facing the mountain. The summit is right there in your view as you turn left. It's really the only place you can see the whole mountain. It happens in the very first left-hand turn. And to think that you are oh, here. Oh, and time you're too close or you're yeah, on the yeah, mountain. Or right, it's something obscuring sure. it or whatever. You come around the corner. You're 12 and a half miles from that point to the top and you're going to try to do it in under 10 minutes. <laughs> and yet the top of the mountain is completely shrouded in clouds. Yeah. And you leave the no line going, This is the one I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one. I'm committed. So, so, you know, that's creativity. You know, it's yeah. creativity in the, in the motorsport world. And I love it. And, I, and one thing I've really enjoyed about Pat, working with Patrick too, is that we, you know, like I said in the beginning, you know, my mindset is being a racer. I'm just, my job is, you know, directing television commercials. <laughs> but, and so here I am working with a real racer. Yeah. You know, Patrick Logger is the best out there. And, but we're taking our combined skills and focus to produce a show. But yet we have these, the racer mentality. Yeah. And so it's just a really fun dynamic. And, and I just, I really have enjoyed that part because you, you usually just meet racers to be racers. Uh, you know, getting to know them and having that racing philosophy applied to what we're doing, you know, with Lufkukult. That's pretty cool. You guys speak the same overlapping language that's so rare. Yeah. So uh, kudos. <laughs> I love what you guys do with it. It's so neat. I can't uh, wait for this one been a lot of fun and i i gotta tell you the turnout and the feedback and you know we're in the car submissions right now and you know will tickets go on sale on saturday it's just it the support and excitement and everything is you know is so fun to see and also at the same time you just like got to deliver now <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah. there's a few expectations i yeah. think at this point yeah. <laughs> um jeff swart this has been without a doubt our uh longest episode because <laughs> I, I, there, I and i didn't even get to everything on the card i hope that we'll have many conversations uh throughout the future years it's been an absolute delight. I hope that you've enjoyed this experience. Well, no, I've definitely enjoyed it. I know it's been a long time coming, but no, definitely fun to be here and really see the insides of this and, and to share this with you guys. You guys are super, just super 
people. So thank you. <sighs> it means the world. It means the world. Means thank you so much. Everything, Jeff's word. Thank you, uh, Mrs. Ryan. Yeah. First of all, I love you. But let's get to uh, oh tomorrow. <laughs> Today's Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, the week flew by. Tomorrow is Breakfast Club, Friday yeah. Breakfast Club up at Newcomb's Ranch. They open at 9. We get there around then. Alternate routes are open. The slide is still... Still there. Whatever reason. The, yeah, the, the crest is still closed. Feel but free you can to go Google. up there. Very easy. Yeah, use Google. Follow the signs. If you can find it, you're an adult. Um, <laughs> Basics. Uh, that's it, though. And then have a great weekend. There's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. That, oh, well, we should talk about this. PEC, uh, morning drive. Yes. Uh, dr- morning uh, morning early shift. shift. Morning shift. Morning God shift. damn, it's written right there. <laughs> morning shift at the PEC LA. I'm sure you'll be there. I, know I will be there. will be there. And Jezebel will be there. So oh, cool. good. Awesome. The dog. Yeah. Oh, I love that dog. Uh, we will be there as well. And then right after that is uh, open house at Hunsaker. Too, I don't know if you're yes. going to that as yeah. well. So that that he's going to late shift yeah. also on Saturday. Hilarious. Uh, that's it, Mrs. Ryan. I love you so much, you Jeff Zwart. We love you so love much. Love you so Thank much, you guys. We love Thank everybody you. at home. Please love one another and have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. All right. That was awesome. <laughs> Whoa! Seriously, wow. Yeah, you're not boring. <laughs> <laughs> Huh?